Hello, I'm Seth Bilizarian, a clinical and interventional cardiologist at Pentucket Medical Associates in Massachusetts. And this editorial program on electronic medical records in cardiology practice is being brought to you from the American College of Cardiology. And I have a, a host, uh, I have a group of panelists with me who are electronic medical records adopters and some leaders in the ACC's program for improving quality and electronic medical record adoption. And I'm excited to have a conversation here with them about issues that they faced in implementation, about issues they faced uh, currently with ongoing uh, use issues such as um, uh, adopting standards, health information exchanges, and of course the big issue that's uh, facing many practices now is meaningful use. So I'd like to introduce the panelists, and, and to my right here is uh, Dr. Vincent Buffalino from Chicago. He's in a single specialty group and using electronic medical records for many years, and I'll ask each of you to tell us a little bit more about your experience. Dr. Ronald Carlsberg is from California, also been using electronic medical records for many years, and Dr. Jay Alexander from Chicago also, who has opportunity to tell us about multiple electronic medical records and multiple adoptions. So I'll just begin by saying that uh, we're hoping that this will be a very practical program for those who have not yet begun using electronic medical records or who have begun in our early stage or are more advanced and may want to hear about the initiatives that American College of Cardiology has or other uh, government initiatives. But also uh, we hope that this will be a practical uh, issue with regard to some very fundamental issues like cost and other kinds of issues that come up in terms of adopting it in terms of our, into our practices. I will say briefly for the purpose for those who may not yet be using electronic medical records that uh, I want to define electronic medical record and an electronic medical record is not a digitized paper record. It's not a group of Word documents that exist on a computer and that you've just sort of shifted over. We're really talking about an electronic medical records that are being defined largely by the government as structured data with data uh, in certain fields for both medicines and problems, allergies. The government is specifying specifically early that we actually structure data for smoking use. So there's a variety of very critical things that, uh, that electronic medical records do, and it's not a digitized paper record. So for the purposes of that, that's really what I wanted to, to take on. And then I'll just begin by asking uh, for some uh, general experiences about electronic medical records. I'll, I'll, I'll start on the end and ask Jay to tell us about your experience in your group and, and how you've used it. Well, we're a 12-person cardiology group in the north suburbs of Chicago, and I, I think we've now uh, have the uh, distinction of um, having had our th implementing our third electronic medical record in uh, probably a decade. I think it's been a, a little short of a decade that we've gone through three electronic medical records, and and uh, for various reasons. Um, so it's been a it's been a an interesting ride for us, and we've had a number of obviously problems in, in implementation over time and choosing the wrong electronic medical record and and now with the the advent of or the the movement towards um, uh, integration of practices into hospital systems uh, now the confrontation of a third medical third medical record uh, which is basically the health systems medical record so it's been an interesting ride for us great Ron I'm in a 15-member cardiology group in Southern California between <coughs> UCLA and Cedars, uh, and we implemented a homegrown web-based uh, electronic medical record in the mid-90s uh, when we felt that we had reliable internet access at that time. Um, and uh, we have found it, uh, because it's our homegrown version, that uh, many of the things that we've heard about um, the difficulties of implementation, difficulties 
expense, uh, inability to customize, we've been able to get around many of those features. Uh, being a web-based product, we were able to immediately make changes uh, and uh, we were able to customize um, that uh, uh, product uh, to our work experience with an emphasis on ease of use and doctor use. And now we're entering a new phase uh, where in order to meet uh, government requirements of uh, discrete data uh, and to capture the important meaningful use items and report them, uh, we've undertaken a, um, a mission to uh, uh, upgrade our system to meet the uh, standardization and meaningful use requirements that are, are going to be broad-based and implemented and uh, enforced um, with uh, reductions in reimbursement if you don't comply. So the train has left the station, and it's an excellent time to get involved. Great. Vincent, what's your experience? You know, uh, we have uh, had a similar th uh, uh, opportunity as Ron. Uh, we took a base system, uh, Metinformatics uh, uh, group out of California, that is actually the sort of the guts underneath the GEMS product that's out there today. And uh, we had, fortunately, one of our EP guys was very into the whole world of electronic records. and. Uh, our system had a, a do not resuscitate on uh, sign on it, and so we were stuck and we were, we were having to change and we we're going to change our practice management system and at the time we realized that let's, let's go all the way and begin electronic records. And so uh, that was the 1997 and, and here we are now, uh, you know, well over a decade later and have been able to migrate it into a world where we're 50 uh, physicians in our practice in 17 locations in the suburbs of Chicago, working out at eight different hospitals. So we have had a very uh, geographically challenged approach to this uh, product, but we've been able to uh, integrate it well. We have you know, uh, a very organized network today where we're able to uh, move information uh, across the practice and at the same time uh, be able to move images and connect our world. It's, it's helped us a lot and we can talk a little bit later about on the quality side, because I, I think it's helped us do a better job at tracking where we were and where we've where, where we got to today. Okay, in my my experience is I'm in a large multi-specialty group, the only one of this panel on, in a multi-specialty group, and uh, we have bought a product five years ago from GE, previously called Logician, now called Centricity, and. Uh, have had a struggle in our time to make it a product that suits both our primary care physicians of our group, but also the different specialists, the gastroenterologists, the nephrologists, the cardiologists. So of the panel, we have a good mix. We have two that have a homegrown cardiology product for single specialty cardiology, and two with an off-the-shelf solution. Right. Let's talk a little bit about what should we tell our audience about how they might go about now getting on board if they have not yet begun. What, what strategies that you might suggest I think that you, I'm guessing that both uh, Vincent and Ron would agree that uh, at this point, growing your own is not an option. Uh, what strategy might you suggest to uh, take, take on this if you haven't yet begun? Well, I, I would say that um, if, you, if you listen to Ron, I think he had their, the positives of their system are out there in off-the-shelf systems today. Um, and as, as I had alluded to before, we had we had gone with a um, uh, we had gone with an electronic medical record um, in the very early 2000 2001, um, which um, and we did it for all the right reasons. We we knew we, what we our goals were, and the only problem is we had 
really no good experience on how to choose. And we chose badly. We chose based on, I think the deciding factor was that um, we were so in love with our patient management system, our billing collection, that we went with a company that did our, our patient management system because we thought that that would make it seamless for us. And in fact, it did not. And in fact, it was rigid. And in fact, it changed our workflow. Um, and in fact, it changed it so badly that I could not get um, uh, more than uh, three of our physicians to adopt that electronic medical record after we had spent the better part of half a million dollars to install it. Um, so the good news for us is we were not a democracy, but we were a benevolent dictatorship. So I was able to get our guys to switch. And we switched to a web-based system, very similar to what uh, Ron was able to develop themselves. And it's a, a web-based system that is very, uh, um, uh, very modifiable, and it, it was modifiable in, in very short order. So that we were able to, instead of adjust our workflow to the electronic medical record, the medical record uh, was modifiable to our workflow. Every electronic medical record is going to change your workflow. Um, the one that changes your workflow the least but keeps you productive and, and organizes what you, and efficiently organizes what you need to do is, is probably the better. So our second system was great and we only changed because of, the, because of integration. So if I was going out and starting over at this point, I would look for a web-based system. I would probably in today's world, since nobody really knows whether you're going you're gonna to be uh, able to stay in private practice or become integrated in the next five years or what, what the ACOs or any of the aspects of health reform is going to create for us, that I would not make an, a huge upfront investment except for the hardware. And I would go out and look at some of these web-based systems that you can do on a monthly basis so your, your upfront costs are not huge. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think starting over today would, uh, would be a lot better. You wouldn't have all the arrows on your back as a pioneer. I, I think I would start by calling your regional ONC office. The ONC uh, for Meaningful Use and Certification has set up regional offices that are going to be a resource. So I would first look at resources. Uh, the second part would be there are some proprietary um, databases where you can put in your needs um, on the web. Uh, several and the American uh, Medical Association has some and local resources. Um, the third, um, which is an attractive option if you're using a dominant hospital, is to go to your hospital vendor in a spoke and hub scenario. There's a stark exclusion that allows hospitals to distribute uh, electronic medical records at a substantial discount without that being considered a uh, kickback. So that can be as little as 15% of the hospital's cost uh, to do that. And it, that certainly will get you along the way of, um, um, of a reduction in cost. And then finally, uh, it, the issue of workflow and your patient management system is very important. I think it's a good, if you're not connected to a hospital, you really have to begin to look at an integrated solution that will both satisfy the business needs uh, as well as the doctor needs. So there'll be compromises uh, in getting that together. So uh, I think architecture, infrastructure uh, are good starts. And, and as he mentioned as well, I think the first step is to build that infrastructure and decide what clients you want in your room, uh, build the infrastructure in the office, and that's really uh, it, that, and the infrastructure cost, personnel, and work are the major cost, usually the licensing uh, and uh, 
the software can be secondary. Hopefully you will not make a change going forward because yeah. the products are substantially more sophisticated than they were 10 years ago. Right. So in terms of things that I, I think I'm hearing you say that all of you adopted an EMR early and you did it for what you thought was good patient and clinical and practice management reasons. Now, would you think it's fair to say that many of those reasons may still be in line with why a physician might choose, but the bigger reason why is, is that there's going to be mandates, there's going to be requirements because of decrements in Medicare reimbursement, and that there may be other forces out there, such as joining an ACO, there may be uh, other payers requiring uh, uh, physicians beyond electronic medical records. Some people have even alleged that there might be part of credentialing or recertification right. for board certification. Do you think that these are all the legitimate reasons that those physicians well, who aren't yet on electronic medical records might really need to think about it? Uh, I, I would just add one, one corollary to all that. I, I think it's a big piece of this is about having internal leadership in your organization. This can't be something you delegate to your staff or to someone else. There has to be a champion who not only buys in as a physician and gets involved and goes to site visits and looks at other sites, but then has to come back and convince his partners. He's got to come back and say, here's the reasons that, that the world is changing. Uh, we're, we're going to be reimbursed this way. It's going to be mandatory. You, you know, at least the guys in my group, it takes a while for them to well, to change, to adjust. And yeah. so, uh, you know, we needed someone who was a real driver who said, guys, here it is. Let's begin small. We'll begin with a pilot. We'll work our way forward. But that, you know, was at least for us very helpful to have someone who is driving it on the physician side. Not only do you need a leader, but that leader has to be a psychologist also because uh, the adoption of electronic medical records and especially the interaction of electronic medical records with a, with a physician sometimes can require psychiatric intervention. It's a, it's a difficult prospect to go through and it, it can, be, it can yeah. be difficult. But I think, I, I think you're right about that. You definitely need a leader and, and certainly the carrot and the stick uh, that government has created for us now uh, with um, um, some upfront, um, upfront uh, reimbursement um, for adopting EMR, but uh, penalties for not uh, doing meaningful use in the future, I, I think is an impetus to, uh, that people have used to uh, get into the arena. But in the end, it's really about it's really about uh, coordinating care, uh, good decision support software. Uh, the, the ability of an electronic medical record to remind, it doesn't educate. Decision support software, for instance, doesn't educate us, but it reminds us that we need to make sure patients are on aspirin, they're on ACE inhibitors, they're on beta blockers when they should be, they're on a statin. So there's some very positive things about electronic medical records that improve quality in the long run, I think. And I think that's the bottom line. I mean, if you're looking for reimbursement from, from the government or you're looking to uh, reduce your cost or you're looking to uh, um, improve your business function. I th those are probably things that can happen. But the real, the real fundamental issue is quality of care. And when we compare, and, and of course we're going to metric this going forward with, 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 with proper scientific studies and there'll be some doubters who will confuse and say, well, there's no proof and it's going to harm care. But on a personal experience, having done this for 10 years, it's almost inconceivable to me to be in front of a patient and not have the cath, the echo, uh, to be able to chart the lab, to know the allergies, to have a fundamental problem list, to go into your e-prescribing solution and know every drug prescribed by every single doctor, it is 
obviously better care. I feel a better, a, the, a better physician for being able to make a decision based on all the information that is immediately available instead of thumbing through things, relying on filing. So I, I think everything that you talked about in terms of disincentives, incentives, meaningful use, I think the proper attitude to go in is with the hopes, and I think probably all three of us have achieved that, of better patient care. That's really what electronic medical records is, and we are criticized as an industry for not appreciating that. Airline industry, banking industry um, are light years ahead of what we do, and so the time has come. Now the disincentives and incentives are our modalities to get better patient care. We hope to metric that going forward. I guess the one thing though I would want to make sure that we share with our audience because there are many enthusiasts in, both in the government and in payers who see the benefits of the electronic medical record but for those physicians who haven't yet adopted there's a certain amount of hesitancy, cost, change in the way they practice and I think that all of us, and I'm the most recent adopter, only five years on electronic medical record, I certainly see the benefits, Ron, that you've outlined. I, th I think that they're clear. Being able, you didn't even mention accessibility from anywhere, from my home, from multiple hospitals, uh, the portability, be able to provide patients with data and medication lists at an instant, all wonderful benefits. But I think by not acknowledging that the cost to the physician, and I don't mean just financial cost, but that huge amount of pain that it takes to go from a paper record to the electronic medical record, you know, between one and two years, can be very, very difficult. And I think it's, it's really important. I think that as a cardiology profession, for those of us who have adopted, it would be better if we were honest and disclose that to our colleagues who haven't yet adopted. Say, oh no, this is all gonna be just great great quality, not that much cost, I think we actually do a disservice because when you're in it and you're staying up until midnight trying to transition to the medical record, it's very difficult. Any well, objection to that? I think well, we're absolutely yeah. all together on that because you know we're sort of in a, a, a quick gratification specialty. Find an AMI, open the artery, uh, send them out of the hospital in 48 hours. I mean, you know, that's the world we're in, and that guys are not used to this thing, which is a multi-year process. I, I, it took us four or five years to get everybody on board and there. And today, no one would go back to a man. Period. Uh, they're all absolutely sold, but there was definitely a process from where we began to where we are today. Well, I'm, I'm an electronic medical record masochist because having done this thing three times is, is, is cruel and inhuman punishment. I, I think the, um, you can't minimize the fact that it, is, it, it does disrupt you. Um, and it's financially, it's financially uh, unnerving or can be. Um, and especially when we have enough trouble trying to budget our offices and, right. and overhead. So, so certainly getting into the arena of electronic medical records from a financial standpoint is, is a huge undertaking. To have the organization in your office, whether you're a one-man or a two-man cardiology group or you're, or you're a 15, 20 or, or greater uh, size cardiology group, um, it takes some organization. It takes a physician leader, as you said, but it also takes leaders in, the, in nursing and uh, at the front desk and people that will interact with those electronic medical records. So it takes enormous um, organization to implement the medical record. Um, and last but not least is, is the choice of it. I mean, it's a very, very um, uh, daunting uh, task to choose these and to get them up and running. They will disrupt your productivity. They will disrupt your workflow, at least initially. Uh, they may make you 
either more efficient or at least neutral in the, uh, at some point down the road. Uh, but I, I doubt that they will make you more organized, more efficient, uh, see more patients and more productive in the end. But it, it should get, you should strive to get back to where you were before, uh, but it does take time. And, but, and one of the most important <coughs> features, I think, uh, to mitigate the difficulties of starting is, is to have, to set your expectations at a level where you start slow. You really want to start with immediate gratification that comes back to the doc immediately. What, and some of those things that provide immediate gratification are a proper problem list. You can just start with a proper problem list. You're not going to get the entire note in on one encounter, but that problem list is your working area. Having the medications properly done so you can save with one click e-prescribing is another secondary issue having a previous past medical history. So you really, you know, all of us have gone through this and none of us would envision jumping into the kind of efficiency you have. You have to be patient, plan it out slowly, make a transition, have support to the transition, uh, you know, to reach, uh, reach where, you, where we, the three of us, are combined. And there will be some dead ends, there will be some uh, disappointments, and there will be some kicking and screaming and uh, uh, lots I mean, of, we, lots we, of kicking and screaming. In general, I would say we're more efficient today yeah, we are. than we were. We uh, have some doctors who do twice as much work as other doctors and complete their notes because of electronic records. When we brought e-prescribing on, I had one doctor tell us that I was crazy. I was going to destroy the practice. And we implemented e-prescribing in three weeks across the enterprise with 90% compliance. But it's, um, it, it's uh, having some psychiatric uh, support huh? from the uh, champion is very helpful. Yeah, yeah actually, our guy was talking about how he had a target on his back. Right. Everybody started to hate him. And I was exactly. like, no, 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 it's not that bad, you know. I would tell you, though, that um, I, I believe you're more the exception than the rule as far as um, efficiency with electronic medical records. Uh, I, I think it takes it takes a lot of years of working with a medical record to get to a point where you're is as efficient as you were without them. I, I think that you can you can get to the point of doing that. I, I think that though, it, uh, if I was going into electronic medical records today, it, it's it's an even more daunting task. You really have to, in part, have a crystal ball and know what your your practice is going to be five years from today. Whether you're going to make the if you're going to make this investment, are you going to make this investment all in, or are you going to do it more minimally invasive in a more minimally invasive way, where you're bringing in certain modules of it. Um, uh, the uh, going into it today is a little different than when we went into it. Um, and I, I really believe that um, uh, the, the smaller practices today that are looking at this uh, need to look at it in such a way that they uh, look towards this, the web-based, very modifiable types of uh, um, nimble electronic medical records that are out there that can satisfy um, meaningful use and satisfy PQRI and satisfy e-prescribing. Um, and as long as there's, uh, there's uh, government certified either through CCHIT or one of the other uh, organizations that are out there that uh, are certifiable for meaningful use, uh, they should be looking at those types of systems. And there's a number of them out there. And one of the terms I think uh, as you start off you should <coughs> be considering is this concept of point of care. You really want to be able to consider the choice of your application to be something that you're going to be comfortable using in the front of a patient. And that's, that's a, that is a definite skill set. You don't want your patient to think that they're spending more time on the computer than with you. So this requires a, 
it's like when you were a medical student where you had paper and you're writing everything down for your senior attending and, and you're missing out the whole patient encounter. You have to develop the skill set to be able to look at the patient, right. to deal with the fact that there's now a three-way interchange in the office, the computer, you, and the patient. What we've, we've done, which has been helpful, is let the patient see what you're doing. In other words, in this triangular mode, when the patient sees the record and becomes part of the record keeping, and it's actually quite interesting. No, 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 my father was 84, not 86, and didn't have a stroke. He actually had a CVA. Oh, okay. So that, the patient becomes part of the process if, you, if it's done right and the room is set up right. Okay, so let me just handle one last potential concern that the naysayers might bring up, and that's the issue of privacy, and the issues of uh, ability to operate with an EMR on the internet for patient concerns, and some doctors have this concern. Can we, can we, how do we handle that with, with, for, for our audience? Is that something that we really should just dispel is that we now have adequate security and we don't have to worry about that? Or is that something that is a legitimate concern that requires constant vigilance? How would you, or some other? My, my perspective is that it's, it's, it, there's enough security. Um, the security on, on the system that we're on now uh, requires it requires uh, a change in passwords all the time, key fobs, and it leaves a footprint when you're in a chart. So if I'm in if I'm in a medical record that I don't belong in, uh, there is a footprint that I was there, um, and and so anytime I'm if, if I was going to inquire about somebody's records that I had no business being in and I was violating uh, violating HIPAA. Uh, I'd be putting myself at risk, and it would be obvious because there would be there would be my fingerprints in the chart that uh, they could actually uh, come back to me. So, I think that in inherently it's it's a, it's safe. It certainly is safe. It's certainly more safe than paper, um, uh, at least in the, in that way. Um, some EMRs, some of the web-based EMRs that are out there, may not be quite as safe. Uh, but there certainly are some that are that most of them that are out there are have some degree of security. So I don't really believe that to be a problem. Yeah, you know, I, we, we had a bad experience with charting where we uh, brought some part-time help in to uh, stuff charts and they uh, stole a bunch of addresses and stole some identities. And so here in the paper chart, uh, we never worried about it and yet we needed to because we had a whole identity crisis in our practice. I think the systems are, are pretty secure from our perspective. And I think it's a matter, first of all, there are laws uh, that govern this if an uh, electronic record is used by accident. Uh, and uh, it, it goes to someone else by accident, it's a $50,000 per incident. If it's by the intent of making money, it's $250,000. So you figure if you're gonna sell someone's records, uh, you might make two or three million. Nah, not exactly, it's per incident. And the jury would decide what an incident in, whether it's 10,000 uh, pieces of a newspaper, that could be 10,000 incidences. So, uh, there are uh, protections with the HIPAA laws in place, and I think a lot of it really becomes a level of education of your patients to weigh the benefits of having a single chart and the information in front of you with everything electronic. So it, part of it is educational, and the safeguards are there, but like any other safeguards, malfeasance uh, can take hold if you, if you don't have appropriate use, appropriate people. The, by and large, uh, the, all of the safeguards are there. Doesn't mean there won't be violations, and the violations will, in fact, be dealt with quite harshly. There was recently uh, a two million dollar violation against a healthcare group uh, using uh, the current law for uh, a violation, and there's, uh, so there will be stiff penalties and case examples that will enforce this. 
Okay, so we talked about some negatives, but and I think that they, they exist, cost, change in workflow, sure. the, the adoption period, these other kinds of issues. But of course, the great hope is the positives, the benefits. So let's spend some time talking about that. And one of the great hopes, of course, is the quality aspects, the ability to feedback by either practice, by individual physician. Uh, the great hope is through this uh, 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 strategy called the Sentinel Initiative, is to look at large amounts of data across the whole nation, be able to follow, follow flu epidemics on an on a almost minute-by-minute minute basis. So there's a lot of exciting things that may come, and we may be on the verge of seeing. Um, what have you seen, I'd ask any of you to share, something that was good that's happened from, this, from a quality standpoint that you were able to do either in your practice or, sure. or uh, on an individual basis? Uh, you know, in our world, uh, we, we uh, designed it so that we could provide feedback, and if uh, you'd ask my docs when we began measuring uh, how good they were, they would have all told you they were really good. Uh, and then we measured and we found out that, well, there was a lot of 70s in there. Uh, and we, we realized that we needed to provide individual feedback back to our docs. So we began in 2004 using the consortium measures at the AMA and we began measuring and providing quarterly feedback to each of our physicians. And uh, if you look at that, and now we are 28 quarters later, uh, over 500,000 consecutive visits, close to 90,000 patients, and we are at 90 or above in almost every parameter across the board from hypertension control to <clears throat> um, LDL control, ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, smoking cessation, sort of the, the standard set of uh, measures. And then they have obviously helped us at providing information for PQRI, uh, helped us with e-prescribe, uh, and, and now uh, have prepared us for meaningful use. So for us, uh, I would say our guys would say to you, our guys and gals would say, we're practicing better medicine today because of the electronic record than we were back then. And nobody would have admitted to that when we started. One of the challenges of quality is uh, across the uh, platform is to be sure that we're all talking about the same thing. And, and that involves the definition of what you're talking about, whether it's congestive heart failure, angina, whatever. So the American College of Cardiology for the past two years has been attempting and has now successfully defined minimal definition for terms taken from the broad spectrum of many different dictionaries, sort of low-lying fruit that can be now implemented by the EMR vendors, by the homegrown systems, so that when you collect that data, you can now measure it properly with quality. That'll be called the ACC 100 from the Informonics Committee of the American College. And that will be published uh, in middle of May as a first draft with the intention to have a larger certified lexicon uh, as a second and third draft so that we can begin to do the things that you spoke about is to define quality with similar definitions in all of these systems. And that'll be available to all EMR vendors, homegrown systems, these definitions. And we'll probably all go back on May 16th, look at them, and be sure that our definitions are correct to, uh, to begin to start to measure uh, and continue to measure quality. Any other quality things that yeah, you might I, want to tell I us? I think about? in general, I, I agree with both of you that, you know, the, um, there's, there's no question that quality improves in my, in my estimation. I think that um, our second system, which is, uh, which is MIE's web chart, 
um, had decision support software embedded. And um, you know, I, I believe that educating doctors is important, but reminding doctors every day is more important. And reminding doctors that the patient's not on aspirin, the patient's not on an ACE inhibitor, not on a beta blocker is exceedingly important uh, in getting to do that. Well, the other thing that we do is, is we, um, we put um, ejection fraction in on every patient so that we can go in there, data mine, see the patients that are under ejection fractions below 30%, how long they've been below 30%, get them in for ICDs uh, if they should have their ICDs, make sure those patients are on the right, right medications. Are they on uh, aldosterone antagonists? Are they on beta blockers? So that's been very helpful. And, and in the end, you know, I, I, you know being, being a person that's involved a little bit in healthcare reform and, and and the politics of healthcare, I, I still have that fantasy that someday we will get out from under the, the issues of, of medical liability, in part because of what we have on our electronic medical records, whether it be decision support software and documenting, the, documenting what we do um, using that decision support software and possibly embedding guidelines and appropriate use criteria in that electronic medical record. So I, I see this all evolving into a much more efficient way to practice medicine to hopefully uh, reduce costs or drive that, uh, bend that curve downward that uh, President Obama's wanted to do and, and, and improve the quality of care. How, how uh, customizable is the decision support in the products that you have? Because one thing that's been raised as well, I'm not trying to be the sp spokesman for the naysayers, but they're out there, is the decision support fatigue. It's sort of like the, what we've heard about with multiple alarms in the ICU. There are so many that we ignore them all. So the same thing, that if you have a pop-up that's LDLs over 100, hemoglobin A1C not done in a year, blood pressure's over 140, not on an ACE inhibitor, is there a way to, to customize it so that you know the the big the the, the big rocks go in first? So that you, you can, know, if, right. if the you blood pressure can, is the you, biggest problem, let's treat that first. You is there absolutely, can, you absolutely can, and, and you can you can you can customize those things, and you can make the stuff that's most important. And, and certainly, those are the things that are important to us, and that's what we customize. We can you can customize the issues of drug interactions, and some of the, get rid of the minor drug interaction notices, and, and just deal with the major ones. Uh, and, and many of these are very modifiable. And, and as, as uh, Vince brought up earlier, is, is we were able to, on, on WebChart, is to actually develop, uh, myself and, and one of the other cardiologists, the cardiologist in Fort Wayne, Mike, Michael Miro, uh, develop our PQRI module over the telephone with, um, in a telephone conference with the designer of WebChart. And we had that thing on there in a week and we were, we were collecting. So, you know, from a, from a standpoint, we were able to change our electronic medical record, uh, modify those decision support software, and, and make it a quality system for us. So it's a, it was, that was a very positive experience. And that's, that's very important in choosing a vendor. I mean, you may or may not have that choice if you have an out-of-the-envelope, uh, out-of-the-box uh, EMR coming from the hospital that you're forced to do inside of an enterprise. But uh, customization and the interaction that you have with that vendor is, uh, is a critical piece. Uh, an electronic uh, warning of drug interactions is an excellent example. Almost all the systems I'm aware of started off with just too many interactions, and you, you can um, tone those down uh, as well. Like Ron said, you know, we're, we're at, we, we, we have the messages at point of care. So it is, as they walk in in that visit, we have the blue lights, which are blood pressure's not, and you could decide to deal with two blue lights today or one blue light today or three blue lights today, but we have 
basically focus them around the important stuff. And, and that's how we've been able to get change. Okay, right. great. So one, Ron allude a little bit to one of the strategies that EMR hopes for is to involve the patient in their care. And Ron made the example of in the room he does that. Uh, one of the other hopes is uh, interactions with patient portals or patient communication. Any experience with well, that that you want to share? Well, part of uh, meaningful use too, and it'll be controversial if it goes through, will be a requirement to provide a patient portal. So the large uh, vendors, uh, including Google and Microsoft, uh, MIE uh, as an example, have developed uh, patient portals, and part of that is the personal health care record that will allow an individual uh, to, on a web-based product, enter some of the critical parts of their health care in a standardized format that would be available to multiple EMRs. Uh, how this plays out over the next five years right now, it's vaporware, but the concept is that there would be a standard for the personal health record that would be importable and manipulable. And then uh, Meaningful Use 2 also has requirements of reporting so that within a certain period of time, the patient has to have access to a report that can be fulfilled with a web-based product uh, where a patient begins to have record systems. I think in California, the Kaiser system is an excellent example of uh, a large system that's already implemented uh, patient uh, interactions um, inside of the electronic medical record on the web. And there are many, many venues, blood pressure, the American College had a project with cardio source to look at with blood pressure as, as an entry point. So there's going to be increasing interaction uh, between the patient, the internet, and their electronic medical record in healthcare. And, and the, uh, the internet is, if you took one single topic uh, that is one of the more popular items on the internet, uh, healthcare is a big is. part of that. So, yeah. right. we, we actually developed, uh, we, we began our meaningful use reporting on Friday, and so we had to develop a one-pager, which is basically going to go to each patient within 48 hours of their visit, and it basically says, why did you come today, uh, what your main problems are, your vital signs, uh, and the plan. Uh, and so that uh, we have kind of customized it out of our notes so that we didn't give them every gooey piece of information, but enough to say, we told you why you were here today, here's your plan and here's your follow-up. And so uh, we're testing that. We just uh, developed that in the last couple months and so we're gonna roll out and see what, what kind of feedback we get. And the, the health system that I, I, we're presently integrated into, which is North Shore University Health System, um, uh, which uses Epic, has an after-visit summary uh, that we actually can print up at the time of the visit, the point of care. But they are also they also have North Shore Connect, which is an which is an electronic website that they the patient can go to, which is their portal, and they can interact through that. Uh, certainly, MIE had a very similar type of uh, portal, and our and our website when we were when we were still a private practice uh, had embedded in it a a, a a portal known as uh, which is actually a uh, personal health uh, record, which is uh, nomoreclipboard.com, which was able to get embedded into our website and was um, uh, was uh, actually on our label as North Shore as North Shore Cardiologist. So uh, it was a very interesting way to do it at that time. So there's a lot of those out there that are um, that are doing, it. and I think it's I think it's a benefit for patients. I'm not sure that all the information out there is necessary for them to look at, nor do I, do I believe that they should necessarily interact because there'll be change, there's the ability to change some. And we, we have to be very careful in how we use that, that the power of, 
of the electronic interaction with our patients. Uh, at least I believe so. Great. I mean, I, I think this has been a fantastic conversation from experienced users and some national leaders, so I, I really thank you for providing this information. I guess I'd like each of you to give me a last word on a question, and that's the, a fun question just to, to predict the future. Um, the AMA has recently reported that uh, at least 50% of American physicians already have some level of an EMR. There are three states in which there are more than 75% of physicians on EMR. Uh, is this inevitable that everyone will be? That's not that real question because that's not as interesting. Just give me some other thoughts, anyone, on where we might be, say, two years from now. I, I would say that I think value-based purchasing is here to stay and so that reimbursement is going to shift, in my opinion, to uh, fee-for-service and a blend of uh, reporting data. And, and so likely, whether it's 80, 20, 60, 40, uh, some world will be that a portion of our reimbursement will be tied to your ability to report. I think there's tremendous consolidation of EMR vendors going on now, and, and that's going to be difficult uh, when you choose an EMR vendor. And I think we're looking to final the goals American College started more than 10 years ago of interoperability and a single patient record that will be transposable between systems, and that's a broader vision, and I think your, your health care record will be as accurate uh, and with as many problems as your credit report, uh, and you'll have to deal with that just like you deal with your credit report. But I, I would see that analogy, uh, your health care record will be identical to that going forward. I don't think there's any question that you have to get on an electronic medical record, and the only thing I urge my colleagues, especially the ones that are in private practice today, um, is to understand where they're going first uh, before they get into the electronic medical record because um, going into an electronic me medical record that uh, is at one of the hospitals that you're at and you go to several different hospitals may be politically dangerous to you. Um, choose, the, choose your partner if you're going to choose a partner or choose to stay uh, in private practice. If you're going to stay in private practice and it's very clear you're going to do that, choose an EMR that works for you and that gives you all those tools. Uh, get into it easily and, and make sure you've at least test driven uh, an electronic medical record before you buy it. Great. Well, thank you again, Drs. Alexander, Carlsberg, and Buffalino for some great insights for our audience on electronic medical records, getting involved in, in the strategies for adoption and moving forward in the future. I don't think there's any question. I'm quite certain there'll be no argument that we are in definitely a time of uncertainty in the practice of cardiology. And uh, this is just one aspect of it that I think physicians are trying to get their arms around to try to do the best thing to continue to deliver excellent care, but also be good stewards of their practices that will allow them in the future to take good care of patients and to have the, the practice continue to be viable. So this is a critical decision, and if those who haven't yet uh, adopted, hopefully this will be a springboard to uh, exploring how to do that. So I'm Seth Belazarian. Uh, until next time, we're from the ACC, and this was Electronic Medical Records Adoption in Cardiology. Thanks. <laughs>